Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to The Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Rodney Evans. She is a partner at The Ready and co-host of Brave New Work. Hey, Rodney, how are you? Hey, Neil. I'm very well, thanks. Good to be here. It's good to have you. I'm going to just apologize to you in front of everybody because this is our <laughs> second time talking and I, I messed up the recording the first time, but this one's going to be even better, so... Well, and if it's not, what we can fall back on is how amazing the first one was. Yeah. And unfortunately, nobody ever got to hear it but us. Which I think makes it even more special that <laughs> no one will hear it ever. It was a moment. Yeah, it was a moment. So let's do a, a check-in round question, a different one than the first time, so you're surprised. But this one is, what about adulting is least natural for you? Oh my God, all of it? <laughs> every every single part of it? Um, Gosh, this is a really hard one for me because really there are so many things about it where I'm like, I can't believe that I have agency to make these kinds of decisions at this point in my life because there's so much in my brain that still feels like being a child. Probably the thing that feels the most (laughs) sort of weird and maybe embarrassing, maybe I should be embarrassed to say this, I will routinely wake up in the morning and be like, I can't believe I'm old enough to be married. (laughs) And I have been married for almost 10 years. Is that right? Almost 10 years. And my husband and I have been together for almost 15 years, but there's something about still like having like a boy in my house that I live in every day that I'm like, surely I'm too young. The police are going to come and knock on the door, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Surely my parents at some point are going to be like, this is inappropriate. (laughs) You're grounded. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about marriage that feels like that was a thing for people much older than I am. That's a great perspective. I like that. Because I think it's hard. There's so many of those things you think of as a kid that you just don't stop thinking in those terms. Yeah. It was like people who were married were a thousand. Yeah. They were a thousand years old, yeah. you know? What about you? What's hard or weird about adulting? Uh, I think that's a good one. For me, I more think about the things that like, oh, now I have to do this. And so my answer is going to be a little weird. People who know me will find it weird because it'd be like keeping my mouth shut that things are strange and just kind of mm. going on with it. It's not that I'm necessarily an outspoken person and when as a kid, like always did that. Now that I'm an adult, I can't do that anymore. But just like the collective, like looking around and shrugging and being like, this is just life. We got to do this. We got to keep it up. Like that's always hard for me to get going. I feel like I should have grown out of that and we all should have done something. So I don't know if that answers the question, but. I like it. Well, today we are going to talk about the digital workplace, which is the topic of the show and something we never seem to be able to define. So I want to talk with you because you have a lot of context in this that is going to be helpful for us. So I'll just start off sharing a little bit about what you do at The Ready and what your work is. Sure. So uh, The Ready is an organizational design and transformation firm that is focused on helping largely big traditional organizations that are somewhat mired in bureaucracy to become more people positive and more complexity conscious. And what that looks like is having more participatory practices, more ability to adapt as the environment changes, and more of a general belief in evolutionary systems. And my role there is to do all that stuff, plus host a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) And when your parents ask you what you do, what do you say? 
I'm like, I'm in HR. No, I, <laughs> my, my family uh, has no idea what I do for a living. Uh, I've tried to point them to the podcast cause I feel like it explains pretty well. Um, my mom understands that I do transformational work with business, hmm. which is, you know, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Close. And do, do check out the podcast, by the way, whether you're Ronnie's parents listening in or not, everyone should listen. It is one of my favorite ones to listen to. You guys talk about a lot of really important stuff. Thank you. Okay, so you said organizational design, organizational transformation. Let's take a step back. There's a term that I think most people have heard a lot, and even that's a little confusing, which is digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Let's start with you. When you hear that term, what do you think of immediately? Yeah, so I think about the replacement of more analog workflows and tools with digital workflows and tools and this is not my area of expertise. So, uh, and I see um, a lot of different definitions in client organizations of what they mean by that. So I don't know if mine is accurate. And yeah. I would like to know from you if that checks out. Yeah. So my perspective, because I feel like this is all like, well, I can't answer because I wasn't alive when that was going on. <laughs> I mean, I, I was alive. I would picture like 1990s, like for some reason that decade. I think about digital transformation the most because it is, Mm. I think when, I mean, obviously we had computers before then, we had networks before then, there were a lot of things that were there, but that's when things really started to get serious in terms of Mm -hmm. like, oh, we can, everyone can do this if they really want to put the money into it and try it out. That's when the first, you know, email addresses were rolling out and people were were getting in touch with that, even on the consumer side. But yeah, to me, digital transformation means the replacement of the analog tools you were using with digital versions of those, mm-hmm. which itself is, I guess, makes sense, but it's also a little bit hard to hold on to when we're talking about that. I want to step back one step further and say, okay, you're into organizational design, organizational transformation. That's been going on much longer than digital workplace and sure. our digital transformation has been going on. So yeah. let's give some definition to that term. What does it mean to kind of go into an organization and design it? Yeah. So, uh, I would say that the definition of that work has also changed a lot over the years. So if you look at more traditional kinds of system transformation and system design, the prevailing thinking was a much more change management oriented approach to this work, which is um, it's more command and control in nature. It's more like we're going to, and by we, I usually mean a group of leaders are going to determine what the outcome is. Mm -hmm. We're going to make a plan full of milestones for how we're going to get there. We're going to communicate, communicate, communicate so that we quote unquote, win hearts and minds. And then we are going to see this change unfold as if by magic on the timeline that we put on a Gantt chart. And that, not that there were not thinkers, you know, starting in the fifties and even earlier who uh, were much more, um, emergently oriented and and thought about this work the way we do. Certainly, you know, the ready did not come up with this these notions. But from a transformational perspective, that has been the prevailing wisdom. And in fact, I still run all the time into consultancies who and what they are selling to clients is the answer to the problem that they have. So the clients like we think our structure is wrong. Hmm. And the consultancy is like, we will do the research and give you a new picture of your org chart that is right. And our thinking about that, which which obviously conflicts both of their opinions, is you can't know that exactly. You can have an idea about that. But the way that we think about doing OS or operating system work and, and really doing transformation work is 
What are the tensions that you're feeling in your system as an individual, as a team, as a leader? Those often look like we have bottlenecks in decision-making, we have diversity and inclusion issues, we have an inability to innovate, everything takes forever, we can't launch new product, blah, blah, blah. Like It often looks like something like that. And then in terms of your OS, the question is, what are you trying to design for and what are you going to try that you think brings you closer to that thing? And it's it's just a ongoing way of doing participatory evolution versus something that is predicted, planned, and and attempted to be controlled. I don't want to be biased, but I feel like when you're looking at like traditional organizational design, it was like, hey, restructure our hierarchy chart. Totally, hundred percent. That's still happening yeah. all the time. But what you're saying, you drop some words like operating system. Mm-hmm. making, seeing where these tensions are, that just reorganizing people's titles and, and putting them in different positions, you know, betrays the attitude that if I just have the right person in that role, or if I just have the right structure, it's all going to work and move the pieces around in, in the pyramid, but it's still going to, if I just find it right, it's going to work. But you're saying, at least the stuff you're doing at the ready is trying to move past that or see that as only one small option in the whole scheme of things, right? Yeah, that's right. And you you hit on two really important pieces in your summary of that. One is there is no one right way when you're operating in complexity. There is only sensing and responding to what is now. So the idea that we can do a holistic reorganization where we just like shake up all the puzzle pieces and then put them together and that's going to solve our problems is incorrect never works. Um, but it feels good. It feels good in the moment because it feels like a it feels like a problem to be solved and human beings by our nature want to solve problems. So redrawing the org chart on the whiteboard and then being like, whew, we really did a thing today. It feels great. It yeah. just doesn't work. Um, and the other thing that you hit on is um, is the idea of the individual being the solution. And a lot of times in our work when when I hear the very familiar drumbeat of like, oh, we just need a new leader. We just need one point of accountability for this. We just need to put a project manager on this. We just need to replace John because he's not strong in this. It always, my ears perk up to say, what is going on in the OS? Because it might be a capacity issue about an individual, but we can't know that until we know what's up in the system. And usually we're overly reliant on individual heroics to overcome bad org design because we don't do the work to go like, actually, we're unclear on our strategy. We don't know how to make decisions and our compensation keeps our resources in competition. Hmm. And it's like, okay, well, then it doesn't really matter how smart John is because he's always going to be stuck. Yeah. So dive in deeper to this OS. What are all the things that are included in that? Give us some examples of stuff people need to think about in terms of what the OS is. Sure. So um, I would encourage people to check out an article. Maybe you could link to that for them because there are 12 fields. But um, I would say, you know, the things that are probably the easiest entry points into the OS are looking at meetings looking at decision-making. So meetings is a field, authority is a field, which is how we meet and decide. Um, Usually there's something in workflow, like usually there's some cross-functional process that is really gummed up and causing a lot of pain. And usually there's something in purpose or strategy that pops pretty early on. And I use those as examples because they tend to be 
easier to futz with than getting into resources, for example, like budgeting or like compensation or like structure. Like these things that have a lot more scar tissue around them tend to be harder to mess with then like most people will let you mess with their meetings because yeah. they've never given a moment of thought to how they meet. And just having a disciplined operating rhythm that has certain types of meetings that do certain types of things will usually make enough momentum and space to get at some of the gnarlier fields of the OS. I love the fact that meetings was the first thing you mentioned because it, it is like, it's a great, if you just look at the meeting, you'll learn a lot about the organization. And, totally. And do you have any of those experiences where you're just working with a new client and you just asked to sit in on something like that? All the time. All the time. And that's actually how you and I met, was you invited me to yeah. do a thing on Twitter that was about, you know, why meetings, uh, why remote meetings are so screwed up. Uh, so, yeah, I I do. It, what I'm sort of like laughing in my brain as you ask that question, because also all clients want you to come and watch their crappy meeting. Like they're like, before you tell, before you make a recommendation, please come and watch this. And I'm like, okay, like I'll come watch, but also like I I know I know what I'm gonna see because I've seen it nine thousand times. Like what I'm going to see is a leader who has an agenda who takes up seventy five to ninety percent of the airtime, who saves five to ten minutes for questions at the end, and who reinforces a dynamic of, you know driving, control, alignment, et cetera, that is very top-down in nature. So meetings are just, um, they're just a representation of what's going on in your OS. And I think it's a it's an interesting point you make because you go sit in on one and you can probably get a pretty good beat on what's happening in all the other parts of the system because it's all just patterns. Like the pattern is the same and the pattern will repeat itself in resourcing, in mastery, in workflow, in strategy. It's all, it's all the same loop that people are in. So then it's just a question of where can you disrupt the loop first? So you're teeing this up excellently because I <laughs> we're actually going through an article that I've put together about what is a digital workplace. And I'm trying to see if it blends in with what you experience. And what I'm hearing from you, I don't want to assume anything, but I'm hearing that we got a lot of systems around us that are these operating systems and they're all pretty old and they're all pretty the same and we usually never change them, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's kind of where I want to jump in because you guys have, you have, you know, the 12 systems, you have this canvas that's really cool that we will make sure there's a link into the show uh, notes to, to talk about these different parts of work and the different parts of the system. I've kind of picked five areas of work that clubbing several different things, trying to make it more thematic. Uh, so I have collaboration, mm -hmm. productivity, which I would put meetings inside collaboration, like how do people work mm -hmm. together? Productivity is about like, how do we actually define good work? Like, what's that mean in terms of, did we do what we were supposed to do today or this mm -hmm. quarter, this year? Leadership in terms of how we're actually leading small other humans and the things we're supposed to be doing. Culture, which is always one of those like, funny things like oh, how do you describe it? it's like everything else that, that goes on but it's really like those unwritten rules that determine how people interact with each other and technology for what are the tools we're going to use for different situations what are the rules around those tools what's our orientation towards technology so i kind of see those as five main ones do you feel like by selecting those five we've simplified things too much or left anything out i don't know if it's a question of oversimplification but there are a couple of things that i would probably argue with you a little bit about. Yeah, let's do it. So, no one argues with me on the show. <laughs> so please do. So one is when you talk about culture, 
One time I was giving a keynote at a thing and there were a lot of people in the audience and someone at the end, it was like an hour long talk. And someone at the the first question was, I noticed that you never use the word culture in this whole talk. And they were absolutely right. And though it was not intentional, the reason for that is because I fundamentally believe that culture is a byproduct of the choices you make in the OS. You can't work on culture. Hmm. Culture emerges from everything else that you do, both explicitly and implicitly. Mm -hmm. So when people say, I'm a culture consultant, or we're going to do a cultural transformation, I'm like, what are you going to do? And usually they're like, we're going to train people to be, use integrity. And I'm like, best of luck to you, you know, because, because really like our, you know, let's say that one of the things that's important to us in culture, quote unquote, is empowerment. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's dive into the authority field and understand your decision architecture, decision rights, who can make what call in the absence of leadership, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's my one small beef with talking about culture as like something that summarizes. Cause to me, it feels like it's a byproduct. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. And a lot of times as I'm trying to figure out what goes in there, because I'll like I'll put things in there like, okay, your policies and your, uh-huh. but policies could also be like where else would that fit? Great question. To me, policy is what is your policy for each part of the canvas? So so what are your policies or practices around compensation or around meetings or around? workflow, right? Like, or around mastery, like maybe in mastery, we have a policy that is every employee on our team can spend up to $5,000 a year to do their own self-development work. That's a policy, but it's a mastery flavored policy. Um, and, And again, I think of policy as being something some constraint that we want to put on the system, some guardrail that we all agree we're going to stay inside. And that could be about anything. That could be about strategy. That could be about compensation. That could be about workflow. That could be about membership. You know, we could have a policy in membership that says we don't steal from each other. Great. That's a policy, but it's membership flavored. Sure. So yeah, I think that I agree with you. I don't know how to act on that immediately in terms of reorganizing our whole website, but culture is, is definitely a, something that, that does seem like, okay, this is the, the after effects of those things. Yeah. And the other one, you know, that I think is interesting to talk about is, I mean, we could talk about all of them because they're all interesting to me, but when we talk about leadership, like I'm curious from where you sit and what you do, like, what does that mean? And what are you aiming for when you talk about leadership? So, and this is probably gets into where, where we're going with this. So let me step back for a second. We have this organizational design, and we've shifted to talking about the systems, your operating systems around it, mm-hmm. and however many elements there are to it, they're there and they need to be worked on. But then let's not forget the first conversation we had about digital transformation. Mm-hmm. So digital transformation comes in, and for the most part, I think we saw digital transformation as, hey, that's an IT project that's going to happen. Mm. They're going to go in, they're going to bring us all sorts of fancy new tools, we're all going to have fun, everything's just going to go in the same way it was, except for now we have some cool tools around us. Mm-hmm. But we didn't prepare for what was actually going to happen, which was the tools were going to take over and they were going to start giving the rules essentially. And they were going to yeah. start impacting all those operating systems and all the areas that were out there and start to mess with things. I always use the example of like how email changed the way we looked at productivity. Mm-hmm. Like 
all of a sudden you could feel good about your day if you got through your email and you got this inbox zero and you got the end of the day, you can leave. Like, yeah. when did that happen? Like that right. wasn't there before. Yeah. All the digital tools we're inviting in and using them, I think they were much more powerful than we realized or they were much more influential than we realized. Mm-hmm. And they've revealed a lot of these systems that hadn't ever been updated or hadn't been updated in a long time. Yeah. So even when you talk about meetings, like everyone knew, yeah, meetings are drag. They're not great. We could probably do them better. But then when you make a digital meeting that's operates on the same systems as before, it's horrible. And it, mm. it exposes all of the ridiculousness that we've been dealing with for a while. But mm-hmm. suddenly when you're sitting there on a Zoom call and all these things are going on, it just seems ridiculous. Like what's, what's actually happening. And so for me, when we talk about digital workplace, we're talking about okay, we've got all this digital transformation coming in and we have all these old ways of working, these old operating systems. And Mm -hmm. Digital Workplace is one that looks at both those and says, okay, we need to level up these things to bring it in line with the new digital tools we have. So to come back to your question about leadership, because I think, yeah, leadership is often like a really vague term that's just out there. Hey, everyone's a leader, do your job, leadership type stuff that's out there. But for me, leadership now becomes, oh, like now we have to think about teams of humans and systems working together. Yeah. So what does that mean? Because the digital tools have revealed that that's a truth that's out there. So how do we actually lead the other humans on our team well? Mm-hmm. And what are the systems around them that, that need to be there? And do we need to do it? Do we need to have more of a self-management style that's out there? Or what are the things that people tend to rely on other humans for when it comes to direction and when it comes to how we're moving forward with things? I also kind of plug into leadership, like organizational direction, like Mm -hmm. where are you going with all this? What's the end game here that you're trying to play? Like that's another system that needs upgraded. We can't just assume that we're all just out here just to eternally turn out more profits than we did last quarter. Mm -hmm. How can we update that and go through it? So that's the background of where I'm coming from. And with something like leadership where I see, yeah, these digital tools are helping us to see the truth behind the systems that we needed to upgrade. Yeah, that makes sense to me. A couple things that were really interesting to me as as you explained that. One is um you know, the idea that IT can do di- digital transformation to the rest of the organization is to me the same thing as saying that people ops can do cultural transformation to the rest of the organization. True, it true. is a lie. Yeah. It is a lie and no one should believe it. And the only way that anything transforms is in the work. And when I say that, I mean, like, if if what we want is a different orientation around the tooling that we have, the way that we do that is not by adding a layer of tooling, doing a bunch of training, and death marching people through com- a compliance exercise. The way we do that is by looking at what our work is and what tool enables it or replaces something that we already have and how we experiment and learn with that thing. Um, so I'm glad you said that because um, I think that that idea is nonsense and people should not do that. Um, and the other thing is like, you know, when you talked about uh, sort of noticing the ridiculousness of what we do when we're on a Zoom meeting, for example, that's just a very systems thinking kind of observation to make. And a lot of times when I'm working with a new client and they say, you know, well, like, where do we start? And what order does this go in? And how do you know you're attacking the most important problems and blah, 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 blah. The reality is that any new thing you introduce, whether that's 
moving meetings to be remote, whether that's moving to Slack from email, whether that, whatever, whatever, it's a new compensation policy, whatever. When you agitate the system, the system tells you things. It gives you feedback. So just like when you move your really crappy meeting to Zoom, you notice things about its crappiness that you didn't notice when you were all in a room together. That's good feedback. Like that's good data (laughs) and information. Now it's our job to go, okay, what does that tell us? And what could we try instead? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where the leaders that I talk to right now are in the middle of that, trying to figure out, okay, what's next? Like, yeah, my meetings were bad. Because we say that like the most basic level of a digital workplace is just, okay, let me find the replacement for whatever we were doing before in a digital world. Yeah. So we were in meetings all day, so let's do Zoom meetings all day. Right. Well, do you have to? Like, can you think about something different? Because you're now digital, now you have opportunities you didn't have before because you can talk about a document asynchronously at different times and everyone's still kind of having this this different kind of meeting. But if you still try to do what you were doing in the office in a digital space, it's not going to work that well. Yeah. So, so yeah, trying to figure out how to upgrade those things and, and find new ways to take advantage of it and really reorient and rebuild these systems. And I, I think the mistake that leaders, I use leader, the word leader fairly loosely because I sort of believe more in like emergent leadership and domain oriented leadership rather yeah, than sure. hierarchical leadership for a variety of reasons. But for, for the purposes of this conversation, one of the one of the big uh, misses that I see leaders make, and I made as recently as Friday, is when we're trying to make a choice. You know, when we're trying to make a choice about a technology or a meeting type or a policy or a new hire or whatever restructuring. What I don't see people do is stop and say what are we trying to get the system to do? Hmm. So it's like we get into these arguments about the solutions and like critiquing the solutions and talking about pros and cons of the solutions. And we can do that forever. But like the question is, if it were perfect, what would it do? That should be the thing that tells us what the solution is. And I'll give a super easy example. We have a meeting at the ready that's once a month that's a governance meeting. It's a participatory governance meeting. And we've gotten to a size now that it's a bit unwieldy. And what we've realized is like, we probably need to have some sort of like subgroup that does this governance meeting with representatives or we or change the way that we do the process to speed it up. I don't know. We're just not getting through as much stuff as we feel like we want to be able to get through. And so there were there were interesting sort of competing arguments about like everyone should be included for these reasons. We should have representation for these reasons, et cetera. And, and I listened for a long time and then I was finally like, well, well, if governance were perfect, what would it do? And if the number one thing our governance meeting is meant to do is process changes and make proposals, then we should have a smaller representative group. If what our governance process is meant to do is teach people governance, we should have everybody, including new hires. If what our governance is meant to do is include as much variety of opinion as possible, maybe we you know, do some asynchronous work first to get more advice and input before bringing it. But in the absence of choosing and debating what it's supposed to do, all of those solutions have merit and they have equal merit. We can just argue about them forever. But like the work of a leader in any scenario is to go, well, what should it do? What should the structure do? What should the tool do? What should the meeting do? That should tell us what we need to know about what we're going to try. Yeah. And I think that is the posture that 
again, digital leaders today like have to have. And that maybe 30 years ago, you didn't have to think in this way as much because you could just kind of ride in what was there. But you kind of have to constantly be asking that question, like what's perfect look like? What's great look yeah. like? Where are we moving towards? And also because you have so many options today. Like we're not saying like remote work is the be all end all. Like everyone should be there. There's tons of great reasons why being in office together as soon as our vaccines are all through is like the best thing that could you, you could do and is perfect Absolutely. for you. But you have to constantly be asking that questions and thinking about it. So I think that's a great orientation. Yeah. And and the other thing, um, you know, and I'm curious your take on this because you're much more in the digital world than I am. One of the things that I notice in doing transformation work is it often doesn't seem interesting or possible for a team or a leader to do, to try a new thing unless and until they personally are holding attention around it. So like a lot of times when I try to like, you know, get them into some tool where they can see work transparently and I try to tell them why that's principled and important or whatever. They're kind of like, shut up, leave us alone, you know? And then I get them into a new meeting structure and they're like, well, it doesn't make any sense for us to be sending a PowerPoint deck back and forth. And I'm like, yes, okay. Now back to the thing I showed you three months ago. Are we ready now to try that? And it's not because of intelligence or capacity or anything else. It's just that human beings basically don't learn things until they need to know them. And so if they don't have that feeling of like this tool solves my problem. Basically, I don't find most people want to hear about it. Is that your experience too? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's mostly just human nature, but even on my own team, we, I like, I tell them from the start, like, we're going to be doing experiments. We're going to be trying new tools that you are not going to like, but I Uh want you to use it anyway and try to go through it. Sometimes it's just like pulling teeth to get them to say like, no, I want you to have this conversation over here because we're trying to solve this problem because they don't feel that problem. Um, Like I had to introduce a different collaboration tool because we had one external vendor who couldn't plug into the other one we were using. That was a problem for me. I felt that very distinctly. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to use a different tool. But everyone else on the team was like, now I got to (laughs) maintain these other two things. Like, I don't really care. Everything else is going on. But yeah, totally. If the need's not there, then you don't see it. And maybe that becomes then the job of the leader. If your job is to create these changes and to bring people there, then maybe pointing out those systems and and helping people to see the, the problems that are there is something as long as you feel it's legitimate. No reason to stir up things that don't need to be there. But yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No change for change's sake. Yeah. Real cool. Uh, Rodney, this has been great. You've uh, eased my mind a little bit. <laughs> this topic of what is a digital workplace. It's good to kind of have a better perspective on that, especially from your perspective of knowing how companies think about this canvas that you guys work with and the 12 different things. So this has been a fun conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So we, we look forward to having these kind of banters again soon in the future. I'm always happy to do it. Thanks, Neil. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you are. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward. 